Welcome to Plenty of Lines But Nothing to Say, where we talk about Huey Lewis and the news. I'm Nadine. And I'm Dylan. And this episode, we're going to be talking about their second album, Picture This, released in 1982. Yes, this was released on January 29th, 1982, recorded in San Francisco between March 1980 and November 1981. So some of this was recorded before their last album was released. I couldn't find any information on that, but I don't know whether some of it was recorded for the first album and not used, or what the deal is there. It's their first album produced by themselves, produced by Huey Lewis and the News. We don't have Bill Schnee at the boards anymore. No, they've taken over. They have. We've got Bob Clearmountain doing the mixing and Bob Ludwig in New York doing the mastering. So uh, the record company have brought the big guns in on this one. They clearly are hoping for a hit, I think. I should say that we're actually not going to play any of the songs during this podcast. So... Go and buy a CD, go and download the album, go and help Huey's Retirement Fund, because they can't work at the moment. Legally download the album. That's right. I'll have links to um, various places you can buy online and hard copies in the show notes. There is also, if you go to the band's YouTube channel, they have playlists for each album. So if you're just listening and you want to hear the songs, you go to YouTube, find Huey Lewis and the News official, and uh, you can listen to the album there. Excellent. So let's go back in time and we'll have a look at the album cover. And that album cover's looking right back at you. Well, it is, isn't it? Those baby (laughs) Baby blue eyes, just the headshot of Huey. Does Huey look like your average American neighbour? I mean, it could be your neighbour, don't you think? That or the average American serial killer, possibly. (laughs) Well, that's true. We should talk about the logo on this one, the triangle logo and that Huey Lewis and the News print. Now, they didn't use that on any other album cover, but they did use it in a lot of their merchandise. It's been going for years, that particular font. Is this really the only album that appears on? It is. That's true. The Power of Love single has used the font of the Huey Lewis, if you have a look at that. But uh, no, no other album cover had that. And and that is their logo. That's what you see. I've seen that in many, many places. Yes. But only the ones. Only the ones. Yeah, that's right. I did read somewhere Huey saying that he was a bit ashamed to admit that he had no idea where it came from or who designed it. (laughs) But they thought it was perfect. It is, isn't it? Mm. It's a bit like the Back to the Future font. You know, it's quite Mm. distinctive. So shall we talk about the back cover? I like that Huey's holding a cover. I think that's a neat little trick. I like the way the boys in the band are... uh, They don't look awfully impressed. Well, I think they're meant to not look like they're smiling, but it's kind of like, yeah, we're really cool. I don't know. It's nicely symmetrical with the fists. That's right, on some steps somewhere. Who knows where the steps are? Probably somewhere in San Francisco. I've got a couple of comments from Huey around this time. One comment I liked, he said, we aren't making bad music, we're making good music that is commercial. One does compromise oneself slightly, but it beats digging ditches. (laughs) That sounds like a a quote from Huey. This album is definitely aimed at radio. That's what they were thinking. What do we want to play that radio wants to hear? And his philosophy for the time was infiltrate and double cross. We get in there, we do what the record company thinks they want, and then once we're in, we do what we want. Okay. Huey had been around the block, you know, he he knew what he was looking for now. He knew he had to play the game to some extent. I was trying to work out the album cover. There's a book from 1985, just a cheap little paperback book about the band by Robert Draper. There is a Robert Draper who is a New York Times journalist. I couldn't work out if it's the same person or not. 
In Robert Draper's book, it's claimed that they made a compromise with the record company to put Huey's face on the album cover, which is what the record company wanted, a single image so they could promote it with that picture. And the trade-off was they could produce the record themselves. I've had a look at Behind the Music, VH1 Behind the Music from 2001. There's a Chrysalis executive on there who says they argued with the band for a producer. And I've also read that they tried about a dozen producers before Chrysalis agreed to let them produce it. So I don't know what the story is there, but it was clearly a discussion. There was some some stuff going on there to try and work out who was going to produce it. I've heard the same thing, is that they made a few deals, perhaps. I don't really know in, in order to get them. I think they did look at some other producers. You have to say it's a big jump for the record company. Their first album had a big-name producer, was not a hit, didn't sell anything. Second album, make or break, and you're going to let the band do it themselves? Yes, but they were in England. Chrysalis was England-owned then. I think there was a reason that they could get away with it okay. at the time. It'd be interesting to know what that what the story was there. We might never know that until somebody writes a decent biography of the band. Well, they've got plenty of time now, <laughs> but I'm not sure if Huey... We need a Mick Wall or somebody to get in there and Stephen Davis to get in there and write the definitive history. Yeah, I'm not sure how much... As opposed to a Beatles anthology book or yes, whatever, it's I don't know how much it's going to sell. I don't know. There's a ton of Metallica biographies out there, and Lord knows I've got a couple of them. But how many Metallica fans can read? <laughs> now hang on. I, yes, that's a bit harsh. They were also from San Francisco, they remember? Were in San Francisco. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> There's a video on YouTube of Huey breaking down each of the albums. And he uses, they give him three words to describe each one. And his three words for this one, we're getting there. And I think that's that sums it up perfectly. This is not an album full of hits, but it's a market improvement on the, on the previous one. That's pretty accurate, actually. Okay. Do you remember when you first heard this album? Do you have any specific memories of it going back? I heard this album 1988. Well, I knew it had Do You Believe in Love. That's the only song I'd heard. And I originally bought it on cassette. I have a, a little story on this one. I have a friend of mine who was into sports. Him and his brothers were into sports when sports came out. And they decided they wanted to get the, the earlier album. So they went into the local record store and said they wanted the Huey Lewis and the News album, Picture This. And the guy behind the counter misheard and said, no, we haven't got a picture disc. Remember picture disc? <laughs> picture disc, yes. yeah, I've got a few picture discs. Yes. But no, we haven't got a picture disc. No, no, it's called Picture This. And we haven't got a picture disc. He said it just went on and on. The guy couldn't understand what he was asking. So that's about the only story that I have of this album. I don't remember hearing it for the first time. I think that's their little in-joke. Picture, picture this. this. You know, as in, go buy this. Picture this. Picture this. Yeah, I think it's their little... And it's a picture. Yes. They weren't always very clever with their album titles, but we still love them. <laughs> well, I still love them. You not so much, but that's okay. Oh, who doesn't love you? Come on. You said Do You Believe in Love was the only song that you probably knew. I would suggest for a casual listener that would be the only one that anybody would know. They might have heard Working for a Living. Uh, these days, mm. Working for a Living, yes. Back then, only Do You Believe in Love. Yeah. This album entered the charts in late February 1982. It took 16 weeks to get to a top of 13. This is the US charts. It stayed at 13 for four weeks. 13? That's, that's pretty good. It's not a top 10, but it's pretty respectable. It stayed on the chart for 35 weeks. In Australia, here, it only got to 75. 
but it got to number three in Iceland. 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 Sorry. Oh. Oh, I don't know what the people of Iceland like, but at the time they liked you. Like yeah, that's true. And uh, it was certified gold in 1985. I can't find any more recent certifications, so it's 500,000 copies in the US. Better than so. their first one. Yes. For this particular album, there are no band member changes. So it's exactly the same as the previous first album, the same six guys and their skinny ties. Not so many of the skinny ties in evidence on this one. No, they're starting to get the T-shirt and the jeans look. Yes. Okay, shall we move into track by track? Yes, so track one is Change of Heart. This is a Chris Hayes, Huey Lewis song. This, for me, it's an awesome start to the album. It's possibly a song that could have remained on the first album in a lot of ways. I think it's got the style of the first album. I like the, it sounds like an airplane, but I'm not sure what type of sound that is that fades in. And then the sort of bill kicks in with the drums and... There's this really, the guitar is sort of leading the verse. The bass is just Mario bass thumping along. The best part about this song is that it's got the chorus that you can sing along to. And I think that's where it's a real a gem for them. That's their style is the choruses are things that the crowd can sing along to. There's a really nice start to the solo the guitar solo, I should say. And the the last bar of it is sort of going down the note scale. But it just sounds cool. I don't know. I, I like it. Um, this is sort of an open chord song, kind of standard GDA rock song. The out solo is more melodic. There's a little section there. It's like a great little bit where Huey goes, hey, hey. And then sort of Chris kind of copies it with the guitar and finally, they've learned instead of trying to do these dodgy endings, the song fades out. And in the lyrics, the chorus goes, you say you've had a change of heart. You better think it over, baby. Because if you ever change your mind, I could have a change of heart the next time. I like that. It's just something that everybody can relate to. Everybody's had that in their life. So this was played live in 82. Johnny does the backing vocals on the chorus. Then it was played in 84. As far as I could find, there was nothing further live. And there wasn't a video because it wasn't a single. This is much more big time than the first album. As soon as you hear it, that swirly phased lead in and then the drums. It, it's great. I love that. Especially through headphones. So listen to that. It just um, Big open chords. It, the guitar is playing the chorus to start with. Right after the, the, the drum intro, it plays the chorus. Yes. You don't know it's the chorus yet. There's a little skinny tie kind of chugging in the guitar riff. It's like, it, as you said, it could have been on the first album, but it doesn't sound like a song on the first album. The keyboards are there. You don't really, you sort of feel the keys more than, more than hear them. Nice verse riff, big clean chorus that you can yell. Um, I like the drums on that, sort of doing the, the double time on the snare. Because second verse is a little bit more, the guitar's just a little bit wilder. It's sort of throwing in a tiny bit more to the rhythm, which is cool. It sounds a bit more, a bit more Keith Richards kind of, just like he's loosening up a little bit on the, the second verse. Yep. Nice tasty guitar solo. 
the busy drums keep the energy going, and then there's almost a cappella chorus just before the outro. That's it true. drops out, and I think there's some keyboards in there, but there's just the, mostly just the vocals. The outro solo, I thought it sounded more improvised than the, the main solo. They both sound composed rather than just jammed like he's thought about them. There's a melody there. There's a, there's a reason for it. And, yes, that cool moment in the outro where Huey goes, hey, hey, and that's panned left and right, and then a bar later or a bar or two later, the key, the, the guitar mirrors what's yes. this song. Yep. They've obviously thought that out and go, you do this and I'll do that. And um, this is a great song. It's a great high-energy opening song. And yet the lyrics, it's a it's a kiss-off. It's like, well, you don't want me? Well, I don't want you either, kind of. Uh, oh, that's true. Everybody can relate to that. Yes. It's, it's hard to think, actually, of a better song on this album to be the opening track. No, that's true. There are other great songs on here, but, yeah, none that would fit as a first track. This is perfect. Shall we move on to track two? Tell me a little lie. So this is Johnny Collar and Huey Lewis. Okay, no Chris on this one. This is where we start to know a little bit more about specifically who's been writing these songs. And as I mentioned in the last podcast, Huey writes the lyrics. It's his lyrics and they're often interesting and I think he kind of embellishes some of it quite a bit. You don't listen to Huey for enrichment. You listen to Huey for fun. That's always been my point of view with Huey. The lyrics are never, what is he trying to tell me here? They're not requiring any deep thought, particularly. They're humorous and they're intelligently written. They're not just word salad, but there's there's no deep philosophy to be unearthed. They're just, these are the lyrics, this is what the song's about. Yes. And they're generally relationships, those kind of things that people can relate to. Of course, yeah. So this is Tell Me a Little Lie, and i got to say, this is another quality song. I just can't stop singing along to this chorus. This has always been one that I've always sung along to the chorus. I read that Johnny had, had written somewhere that this is sort of a, like a reggae feel song, so it has that dum, 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 dum. It's real bouncy bass line that Mario gets to play, and it's not classically rock no. at all. And it sort of shows they weren't just a one-genre band, really. There were so many mixed into what they played. The intro guitar, which follows the chorus melody, so it's really kind of sweet and nice. There's the lines of the verse that have the keyboard feel after Huey's line. Dun, 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 dun. That's sort of a nice touch because you don't always get to hear what Sean is doing. It's kind of filled with everything else. And there's the second chorus, first line, and Huey says, just a little lie to remember you by. And there's just this nice little guitar feel just in that little section there. And I thought I'd talk about that bit because it's a real sweet sound that he gets with Chris. It was always really clear sound and melodic. And I think that's easier said than done. I think you have to have a skill to to do that. When I was actually listening to it with the headphones on, there's a line in the chorus that says, but your little lie will last me forever. And I'm not 100% certain, but I think that's Sean in the background singing that. There's a background vocal there. And because Sean did the deep vocals in the background, I think that is Sean. Uh, you wouldn't pick that up normally because most people are listening for Johnny to do it because Johnny did the vocals. And I just like that that lyric that tell me a little lie to remember you by. 
there's an interesting hint as to what the what the relationship was like. Yes, this one is a song that is so much better performed live because Huey really sells it. And from what I could find, again, the live '82 MTV concert was the only time it was played. And it had a highlight at the end. It was this massive guitar solo and Huey announces Chris Hayes on guitar because it's such a beautiful ending solo. And if you're going to have a look at what, what I mean, go have a look for this song and that particular time. Yeah, I think it's a better song live than it is on the album. I think it just means more. I think there's more energy and it wasn't a single so there's no video to it yeah harking back to 1981 82 this sounds like the police you've got a lot of those reggae influenced scar madness in a couple of years you'd have culture club that reggae kind of sound was quite big particularly in, in england where huey had been you know he was he recorded with elvis costello and dave edmonds and all those guys it starts with a little guitar motive and then that keyboard link that is the hook of this song yes that is the hook yes um i like the little scar type rhythm guitars and this loping bass line underneath bill and mario are just locked in there's a lot more clarity on this than the first album this just sounds a world apart in production it's just recorded better it's got a loopy guitar solo in my notes <laughs> Long Hendrixy overbends. He's he's really milking the notes, which is great to hear. He's got a great guitar tone throughout the song. The outro section with with Huey's echoed vocals. Tell me another one, and those little jammed guitar lines in between. With that groove, with Bill and Mario, and then that keyboard riff on the top, uh, they're just cooking that out, that outro. I'll just say for an interesting fact that Bill and Mario were actually been playing since they were about 13, 14 years of age together. Uh So this is why they're so good at what they did. There's something important Mm. with that bass. And certainly Mario had a a real distinctive dark feel to some of his playing. When they changed later on to John Pierce. Those songs didn't have the same feel, which is fine. But when you when you get Mario in it, it's just like, ooh. <laughs> There's something about his style. It's easy to overlook him, but when you listen for it, he's doing some very tasty stuff in there. And he, him and Bill are just locked in together. It sounds really cool. So, no, this is a great song. I liked it. And, and for the second track on the album, get yeah, one-two punch. This is good. Shall we move on? Track three, Tattoo. Giving it all up for love. Brackets tattoo. Well, nobody actually, it's never mentioned tattoo. So as far as I know, it's giving it all up for love. It's only in some places that it actually has it at all. That's true. The back of the album here doesn't have tattoo. Doesn't it? But the single did, I think. Because this was a single. Does it say it on the sleeve? Oh, on the sleeve it is called tattoo. Brackets giving it all up for love. Right. There you go. Sorry, not the sleeve, on the label. On the label. So this was written by Phil Linnett of Thin Lizzy. Thin Lizzy. It was recorded by Phil on his solo in Soho album in 1980. And ding, ding, it guest starred our own Huey on harmonica. So they actually toured, or Huey toured with with Phil and Thin Lizzy. So this isn't a, just a song by somebody else. This is actually a cover. It was recorded already. That's true. And they covered it. 
Dewey says that basically Phil taught him how to be the front man of a band. This one was a single. The UK only, I believe. It's a bit fuzzy on oh. um, whether it was a single or not. But in the UK, it was a three-track LP backed with Do You Believe in Love and Some of My Lies Are True. Right. But it didn't go anywhere. didn't chart in the US or in Australia here. If it was even released, I couldn't find chance for it anywhere. Only in the UK? As far as I could tell. Great. If anybody so, out there has more information, please let us know. So this is a bouncy little song, and it has one of my favourite moments, the ah. Huey does the ah. It's one of my favourite moments of that. It's an enjoyable song, but it's certainly not at all serious. It's very fun. It has a... Oh. Does it not have the most wild keyboard solo? And it has a sax solo at the end. It's a bit like a jam. i got to say, the fun part about this is the guitar because it's a little catchy little riff that plays all the way through it in the background. And my favourite bit is when she's got a silver armadillo underneath her pillow. Wow. Is that a tin whistle? It's Chewie doing a wolf whistle, isn't it? I'm not sure, but I don't know how he gets to that top of that armadillo. I was going to try it, but I decided against that for purposes of I can't do it. Not to be attempted without medical supervision, I don't think. (laughs) That's true. When they did this live, actually Chris and Johnny sang in the chorus, but Sean did do the keyboard solo live. Later on in 89 at Slim's in San Francisco, there's a show that you can look up and Chris is actually playing the solo, no keyboard solo. And that's really the only change that they did with this one. There's no video for this one. So even though it was, you said it was released as a single, they didn't do a video for it. It doesn't sound like they pushed it hard. I looked on Discogs, I think. Discogs uh, record collecting website that has thousands upon thousands of just about anything you can think of, and they only have UK versions of this single on there, so I assume that there weren't any US. Three-track EP with Do You Believe in Love, which is a single that had already sold, so <laughs> I don't know why they bothered, to be honest. So what do you think of this song? I thought, yes, it's a Phil Linnett song, and it, I felt it sounded dated, like it could have fitted on the first album. It's got that um, that guitar lick. I, I, I call it a chicken picking guitar lick. That sort of digga 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 dig. Chicken picking. Chicken picking. I like that. It's a cool little lick. Opening harp line somehow, from some reasons, it reminds me of the Sesame Street theme. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> it's probably just me. Silver Armadillo, her mummy plays gin rummy. But yeah, they didn't write the lyrics. No, so they fine. didn't know. It's, it's a silly. Silly song, and they're being silly with it, and that's fine. Is this the first keyboard solo we've heard? Yes. Thought so. And this is the first sax solo of the album. It's that's true. A nice little solo. I like this one. I don't look so oh, surprised. Great. <laughs> I do look surprised. Oh, come on. Have you got nothing else to say about the keyboard solo? I like the keyboard solo. It's oh. nice and crazy and the way it sort of slides to a halt. <laughs> yes, it does. Perfect. I like the way the sax recalls the uh, the harmonica at the start. That sort of mirrors those those lines. Yes. But yes, full of silly moments and just a bit of fun. It, I wouldn't say this was a great track, but they do it okay. They do it well. It's fine. Yes. Track four. So we're up to Hope You Love Me Like You Say You Do. This was the second single released. It was. And that surprises me a little bit. It got to 36 
on the Billboard Hot 100 for two weeks, which surprises me quite a lot, to be honest. Right. So this was written by Mark Duke, and it was, well, after this, many, many years after this, it was recorded by Mike Duke on the Mike Duke Project 2019. Uh, He's more of a, a soul singer, and he actually toured with them around 89, I believe, he was the opening act. And uh, I've got a bit of a bootleg one around that era. And yeah, he's, he's actually the opening act at that time. Not a name that's familiar to me. You can definitely find that online. You can look that particular song up. It features the Tower of Power Horns. Now, the Tower of Power Horns, is, they're actually one of Huey's favourite bands. The Tower of Power they are. And they're still recording even today. Probably had many band changes since then. But this is the first ballad that we've heard Huey sing. Mm. And I think we all thought Huey was just this guy with this gravelly voice and couldn't really produce a ballad. But he does a fantastic job in singing this song. And there's that lovely, I call it the dual guitar and sax solo intro. And it's just lovely. I just think it's just they got further into their career. They got further into the horn section. Yeah, I just find that really just a lovely little moment in that song. And there's this point, and it's always more impressive live, where Huey goes, yeah, and that, that the whole crowd goes, yeah. And, of course, I kind of think when, I, when I'm talking about live is that Huey does this fist pump. And it's like this thing, you know, the, the Huey and the fist pump, you know. And the crowd's in back, so it's a crowd-pleasing song. This is quite where Huey goes, Do you really love me? And, oh, I hope you do. And right at the end when they play it live, it's just to get the whole crowd in. It, it's just a song that makes you love Huey basically, in, in that sense, as everybody can go, yes, you know, we love Huey. So that was played in 82, 84. Uh, and then I found on YouTube a 2013 fan video of it in London. So there was, obviously, there was a huge gap that they didn't play that song. You know, maybe they bought it out because a fan said, can you please play that song? It's my favourite. This one has a video. It does. Just a studio video of the, the band are recording the song in the studio. It starts with, strangely, the video starts off with all the band members coming out of the taxi. Now, I'm going to have to ask you, how big was the taxi for all six of them to sit in the back? Because Mario is not a small man. Even Huey is not a small man. I mean, he... <laughs> Those New York taxis are pretty big. Must be. Either that or they kind of filmed it with them all sort of, yeah. Oh, it's a clown car. It's a clown car. <laughs> So you're right, it's filmed in a studio. The copy that I found, the Huey's lip syncing is not right, and it shows. And I have to say the highlight of that video is that Chris Hayes is wearing this bright purple fitted T-shirt. And (laughs) it's kind of vibrant and it's great and it's just... He's a good-looking man. We shall not go into that, (laughs) shall we? At the very end... As it's winding down the song, Huey's behind the mixing desk with the band and a bunch of people are standing there sort of singing along as if they're part of the song, which they aren't. I'm pretty certain I spot Bob Brown, their manager at the time, in the background. But who the other people were, one doesn't know, unless somebody actually does know 
and can tell us. But there's some probably wives, girlfriends, who knows who they are. But yeah, there's there's miscellaneous people at the end of that video and then sort of they walk out and it's all very happy and but it's fairly unmemorable. Yes. Yeah, it's nothing. Compared to their later videos, there's nothing exceptional about that one. No. I had a slightly different take on this song. Just slightly. I I felt languid was the word I used. It sort of starts off slow and the horns and there's... The verse is very minimal. There's just chewy and really muted, I think, the drums and maybe some keyboard. But there's not much happening. It sounds kind of mid-60s, Motani, that kind of... uh, A swirly Hammond organ sound on the keyboards. Lots of ooze. Um... Now, we both like the movie Back to the Future. Well, it's got Huey in it, right? Oh, of course, Lots yes. Like. Do you remember the, the part where Marty goes into the dance? And the yes. Playing? Before Marty plays with the band, the band are playing. Yes. This sounds like what they would be playing to me. This is like, this is that era. This is mid-50s, doo-woppy. Sure. I love the moment when there's the little horns and saxophone interlude, and then it stops. So they just stop on a dime and Bill pokes the symbol. Ding! Just a lovely little moment. Who was it said that the love you take is equal to the love you make? That that would be the Beatles. Huey? It's... Was it? Yes. Oh! It's the last line mm-hmm. of the last song on the last album the Beatles recorded. I'm sure he actually knows that. I'm sure he knew that. I'm sure <laughs> Huey it's, does. It's Huey answering Huey, he's sort of Responding and singing to himself, that's great. Uh, but I felt this was sort of a bit of a flat spot. It's like lounge music to me. It's not, not really my thing. I don't think it should have been the second single. I'm sure they loved it. I'm sure they thought it had potential, but I can't see anybody going, oh, I need that Huey Lewis ballad. True. This, this is just not a song that screams hit to me. No. So the fact that it got to 36 surprises me. I'm surprised it got that high. Maybe because it had a video. Possibly. Well, possibly um, I'm... Other people like it more than I do, which is... That's true. <laughs> but yeah, that, this is okay, but it's not a favourite. Track five. Working for a living. Oh, oh. right. Um, where do I start? So this is, this is Chris Hayes and Huey... Here we go. The dynamic duo, I think, of these. They wrote some fabulous songs over the years. They really did. And, I mean, as much as people think of Chris as being the guitar player, you got to think about the writing that he did. And this was one of them. This was actually on the soundtrack, 1988 soundtrack, for the movie Big with Tom Hanks. So a number of years later, it's used at the point where from memory, from the point where Tom Hanks becomes from being a kid to being a kid in an adult's body and he has to go to work. And that's the point because it's been a lot of years since I've actually watched that movie. I've never seen it, so... No, that's news to you. And it was also recorded in 2007. Huey recorded this as a duet with Garth Brooks, the country singer. I honestly say it didn't improve it. They changed... I should, should I say that? You can say that. I did. I, I, I would suggest Garth Brooks has never improved anything, but I'll probably cut that out as well. <laughs> you 
can keep that in. As I said, it didn't improve it. They changed some. They did change some of the lyrics. Huey's still playing his famous harmonica in that song. Yeah, it's just a bit more country than I like, and I just prefer the original for sure. The original was the third single from this album. Yes, uh, backed with a live version of "Working for a Living." So, if you bought really? the single, if you bought the single, you got it twice. <laughs> That's how much they. That might be how much they loved this song. They were going for this song, so I absolutely love this song. It's, and I think. You know, this is their second album. I think it's their best written song so far. And and I say that because if they didn't have it at the ending of the set, when they played it live, they had it towards the ending. It's the rock song for everyone because everyone is working for a living. And Huey talked about, just recently I heard him say that he was in New York and he was in a taxi somewhere and he realised that people were getting up and going to work and hence working for a living because everybody's got to do it. That chorus is, you know, working for a living, working, I'm taking what they're given. Because I'm working for a living. That bit there, you get everybody in the arena singing that because they all understand what that means. It doesn't matter if it's your rock star singing it. Everybody can relate to He's that. He's working for a living too. He's doing he it. was, and he looked like an average good guy, basically. You could get up and you could talk to him and no worries. And that bridge to the solo, that, oh, well. Working for a living. That bit, it sort of builds the song. The thing with them is the harmonies make the songs. Most of the time, that's what I feel with them. There's Huey on the harmonica. He's finally got to play some bluesy harmonica. I'm going to talk about the live concerts. Then there's a lot because they played this all the way through from 1982. I don't think this song ever left a set. It's always their closer, isn't it? If it's not, it's close to being the closing song. It's not always the closing song. I'll start with the the Live 82 MTV concert. They gave Bill an opportunity to do a drum solo. And I know nothing about drum solos, nothing. But it's Bill. How often does the drummer get a chance to play a solo? And they played the harmonica solo into a guitar solo. It was just perfect for me, really. You get the whole lot and it just keeps going on. It's a real jam song. And they always had that song in the set that introduced the band. This was the song that introduced the band and Huey would go, and you've just heard the news. And that was it. You know, it was you knew it was coming up. There's that always at the start of this song. And it's my secret part to the song that I was so hoping that they would play when I finally saw them live, that they'd play this song and I get this chance because it's that point where the drums kicking in and they stop and Huey and Johnny and Chris are standing on the platform in front of the drums and you know they're going to do the jump and if you timed it just right you could get a very good scream in there <laughs> and you know they um, <laughs> because it was just in that pause you know there's just that before the song actually kicked in it was just fun and and if you're going to go through the live as I did I spent one night looking at a lot of live versions of this song there's one in 91 in Japan on Wow Wow TV I think it's a bit hard to get a hold of and many years ago I sent money off to some person in the United States who 
changed it from NTSC to PAL so I could actually watch it because I'm in Australia. And that one there has a Huey harmonica intro that's kind of a little bit cheeky because it's not the song. It's kind of just Huey doing this harmonica sort of little bluesy thing and then he kind of grins at the crowd and off he goes. And so it's I'd say it's the best performance of Huey on the harmonica, that particular live version. And it's one of the times because they there's not a lot of songs that they changed and jam a little bit. Most of the songs, they just like the power of love was boom, this is the power of love. And they never really added anything extra to it. It was just the way it was written in 1985 and that was the way they performed it. And this song changed over the years. There were harmonica solos, there were guitar solos, and this one in the middle, they completely, it's almost like a complete change song. They kind of do this really nice little almost jazzy, blues, jazz thing. Bill's got this really kind of light feathering of the drums. Chris is doing these almost jazz chords going on and Huey's still on the a harmonica. And it's interesting because you can actually, if you listen to it, there's this sort of really fluttering little bass that Mario does in that little section. So if you can find working for a living in Japan in 1901, I'd have a look. I think we all think they were just rock and roll stars and we don't sort of think about the musicians because they just played three-minute songs and they were fantastic at that. But this is sort of gives a more of an idea of what they could do and they could only do the three minute songs because they were good at being musicians you got to say that so live at 25 in 2004 that was pretty much the last recorded dvd that you could actually get of theirs that had john pierce on bass and steph burns on guitar because at that stage chris hayes and mario had moved on so that's probably in my opinion the worst, the worst uh, out of all of them. And I'm not sure why it is the worst. I just don't think it had the right vibe at that point. This kicks off hand claps and a snare. Now I'm interested. This is a wake-up call. <laughs> this has an insistent little guitar riff. It sounds it sounds like a little roller coaster or a, a, an assembly line. It could be a machine in a factory. It has that thing to it. And the bass follows it. Yes, that harp solo. Definitely having fun here. Uh, selling souls, rock and roll. This has got great backup vocals to sing along with. You know how I, I quite like some Bruce Springsteen. I'm not a massive fan, but Bruce is cool. He's sort of seen as the, the working man's rock and roller, yeah? Yes. If he was writing this song, it would be about working at the factory and the boss don't respect me and I don't get paid enough when they're shutting the factory down and everything's going to shit, right? Yes. This is not that. This is like West Coast. I've got a shitty job, but the sun's shining and we get to we get to party on the weekend. You know, it's upbeat. It's the same kind of same kind of message. Yes. Everybody's working for a living, whether you're yeah, selling souls or rock and roll, you're working for a living. Yes. And everybody knows that feeling. But it's not oh woe is me, isn't life terrible? It's it's whatever. <laughs> this is where we are and everybody's doing it. So, yeah, no, this is fun. It just takes side one out with a bang. I think it's an instant classic. I found a, a quote from Huey. He said that the second single from this album should have been Working for a Living, not Hope You Love Me Like You Say You Do. And I, you can't argue with that. This no. Is perfect closer for side one. Begs you to flip the record over and see what's coming next. There was a video for this one, wasn't there? There was, and it's in the studio. 
and it's the, the exact same background as Do You Believe in Love? So it's mm. kind of this weird, obviously film, filmed at the same time. I don't know, that set is just a bit odd. It's like somebody's ripped up paper and stuck it on the wall. It almost comes out as a frantic kind of song in that video. Yeah. I don't know whether they've slightly sped it up a bit. I'm not sure. And interesting, I found that Bill, Sean and Mario are all wearing white shirts and ties. And the guys at the front are wearing their, their T-shirts and jeans, you know. It just doesn't seem to sort of, it's like having two different bands in one. They haven't nailed down the, the look yet, maybe. No. But the, the change from the... Shirts and tyres of the first album to, to the t The more casual look. Uh, so we'll, we'll probably talk about Bill's vests later on because some of the fashion is a bit interesting, uh, but it's not a very memorable video. So we flip the record over. First song on side two. It's traditionally where you put the song you think is going to be your big hit. Well, didn't <laughs> they pick the right song? This was the first single, Do You Believe in Love? And it went big. It went fairly big. Yes, this came out a week before the album, January 22nd. Got to number seven on the US chart. Stayed at number seven for three weeks. In Australia, it only got to number 18 for one week. Really? It was in the charts for 17 weeks in America. Do you want to know what the number one was the week that it was? Oh, certainly. What was the number one in 1982? It was Joan Jett with I Love Rock and Roll. I Love Rock and Roll. Which is which is a pretty cool song to be Oh, it by. is. I think so. In Australia, it was slightly less cool. The number one when it peaked in Australia was uh, I Ran by Flock of Seagulls. Oh. Sorry. That song is so sh- Also in the top ten, when this was in the top ten, Jenny, 86753099, by Tommy Two-Tone, written by Alex Call of Clover. And featuring drummer Mickey Shine of Clover. So Huey had some friends in the top ten that week. Uh, this sold 700,000 copies. And number two in Iceland, this one. Number I, two? Iceland were big for Huey in 82. A big for Huey. We'll keep an eye on that and see whether it continues. <laughs> That's true. So this was written by Huey's friend, Robert Mutt Lang. Lang or Langer. I'm not sure the American, Huey calls him Langer. I think the English call him Lang. I've seen people in the same bands who have worked with him for years. One calls him Lang, the other calls him Langer, so I don't know. Everybody knows this guy because, well, what didn't he produce? ACDC, Shania Twain, Def Leppard. Foreigner. The list could go on. This guy had a certain feel to his songs. And he knew what he was doing. But he had nothing to do with this song apart from the fact that he wrote it. However, it was recorded by Supercharge in 1979 on the Body Rhythm album. And don't look too closely at the front cover of that album. It's a bit dodgy. I believe he was, uh, I think Mutt was actually playing on that one because I think he's pictured on the cover of that. I have heard, but I'm not sure if it's true. I've heard that he did the vocals. For that. Wouldn't surprise me. And it was originally called We Both Believe in Love. So Huey has actually changed a few lyrics in this. It's not a, just a few. The original, now I've got to say, whoever did sing the original, it sounds like a cross between the characters in the Muppets, Fozzie Bear, and Animal. It's painful. It's just, uh, it's just, that's all I can say. It is just 
absolutely painful to the ears. I mean, you know, people talk about the fact that Huey was kind of, his voice was not radio. But, oh my, didn't Huey do such a better job of this song? This is the first ever song I heard of Huey. My brother, my memory is my brother had a cassette and when I did some research, it was called 1982 Out of the Blue. Remember those ones, those compilation cassettes that you got? And I thought it was the first song on side two, but it wasn't. It was, in fact, the eighth song on side one. It was also with songs like, as you said, I Love Rock and Roll and Freeze Frame by the Jay Giles Band. Can I just say it was a bit funny. It also had Ray Parker Jr., the other woman on that okay. particular cassette. And uh, we shall go into that later the on. The name that you'll live in infamy. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Freeze Frame was actually in the top 10 with Do You Believe in Love? Along with Chariots of Fire. Ben Jealous. Chariots of Fire. This was a song that I consistently, and I'm talking consistently at seven, that's how old I was when I heard the song. I first heard the song at seven that I would consistently say, play that song because I didn't have the cassette. You know, the cassette recorder was my brother's and I didn't have any myself. So I just kept saying, play that song. And the reason why it's such a favorite is those vocals. You know, it starts with the dun, 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 those keyboards at the start. And it's this bouncy little song and it just it's like you know there's so many things that they ticked right so not only did they get Huey's vocals right Johnny has actually sang all the eight vocal parts of that song and that is the bit that got me right from the get-go of that song it's those vocals and his vocals that just are out of this world (laughs) I think this is the top sax solo of the 80s I mean this is a fantastic solo it's a big call but I wouldn't argue. And the original song, because I did listen to the original song, it doesn't have the sax solo. So basically their format was very similar to the original song, but it doesn't have the sax solo. So that's something that wasn't in the original. At the end of the chorus, because I like the little guitar feels, and there's that really nice little... It's the end of the chorus. And it's just really, oh, it's just lovely. I don't know what it does. It just makes something. It just had that. I mean, the guitarist sound is just perfect. They changed the lyrics to, do you believe in love? Do you believe it's true? Do you believe in love? Oh, you're making me believe it too. It's true. It kind of made the song approachable to everyone. I can't fault this song. This song gets you, it just hits you right where you want to feel good every time. I'm never bored of this song. I can listen to this song. You know, like some of the their songs I don't listen to very often, but this song, I've never got bored of it. I know it's not Huey's favourite because it was too pop for Huey and I think perhaps Huey knew he needed a radio hit. Well, he did. And this was it. And they picked the right song. As I said, infiltrate and double cross. This is getting you in the door. After that, we've got a ticket to do our thing, but this is getting us through. The opening lyrics and the melody are very similar to ELO's Sweet Talking Woman. Walking down a one-way street. If you listen to them side by side, they're very similar. Just that first opening. Not sure whether there was something subconscious going on there, but... Well, have to ask Marty if he ever decides to talk to anybody. He's got a 
I love that big keyboard in- intro that just grabs you right from the get-go. It's clearly a different animal to everything else on this album. It's a big poppy song, bouncy, mutt-laying bass line. We've got the tonic note on the beat. Just that. Yes. The chord, the chord is A, you play an A four times, then move on to the next one. It's fine. There's no walking or sliding bass going on here, but that's okay. Big Huey intro on the first line. He really gives it his all, that first line. I was walking. It oh, he does, doesn't he? Grabs you by the throat from the beginning. Very melodic verse. Beach Boys is what keeps coming. Beach Boys, those chorus vocals. The chorus is literally a chorus. There's, what have we got, eight Johnnies? I had Johnny's in that one. There's no lead vocal on the chorus. It's all backing vocals. And two, except for that last line, you're making me believe it's true. Everything yes. else in the chorus is, is backing vocals. Um, the second chorus has Huey echoing in between lines, but it's still those backing vocals are the chorus, which I'd never really noticed before until I sort of sat there and broke it down. It's like there, there's no lead vocal there, which I thought was cool. The guitar, yes, the little spice between the chorus lines and yeah, that little hook right at the end of the chorus just to grab you again and bring you back into the verse. The backing vocals in the, I think, the second half of the chorus, the verses, you know, hoping, wondering. Yeah. Yes. That, that's that got me. bringing that in oh. and the song just builds and builds. There's little things every every time you have another verse, there's something extra in there. The bass gets more adventurous just as we get into the solo and then the guitar kicks us into the sax solo and my notes, I had perfect sax solo. This song would not be as great without it. This is this is yay! Awesome. I love this. Awesome! Yes, <laughs> yay! We've got big tick for Johnny. <laughs> tick for Johnny solo on this one. Big gang vocals, almost a-, a cappella into the final choruses. It all drops out, and it's just them. Yes, I clearly enjoyed doing this. And then the woo until the fade. Yes, it's just fun. Clearly expected to be the hit. It's just been given the works. They've done everything they could. Hence the the spot on the record, first track on side two. Like you, I could listen to this all day. If you put this on a loop, it would take some hours before I said, can we listen to something else? Yes. No, this is a perfect, perfect song, I think. Love it. You love it. I love it. Everybody I, loves this song. I have a memory. Perhaps they song. don't. This is probably, as, as you said, this is probably the first Huey song I heard too because I was 11 when this came out and I was listening to the radio and, as you said, my older sister was buying those compilation tapes. I don't know if we had one with this, but I was aware of this song. Did they play it? Much live. Well, they did because it was such a hit. They did have to do it. The first one again is the Live eighty two MTV, and and Huey just sells this song. But it's instantly the song that really picks up the crowd. And I think you know when a song's a winner and when it's not. And this song picks up the crowd. And they did this dual guitar solo over the years. This is towards the end of the song, and it was a harmony part. And Chris Hayes, from what I've heard from Johnny is that Chris Hayes was his guitar teacher. So Johnny had to find something to do during the times when he wasn't playing the saxophone and to hold something. So he decided to play a bit of guitar live. And so Chris Hayes was his teacher. And he always thought then that Johnny would actually be playing on the albums. Mm. It says that on the back of the records. Well, it does. It used to, It says Johnny Collar guitar. He didn't. And that's the interesting part, especially when you go through some of it and you listen to the multi-parts of guitar and there's probably more than even we can hear. So that's all, Chris? Yes, unless it's listed as somebody else, which is very rare. There's one on coming up on sports, but it's very rare for anybody else to play the guitar on these albums. So, yeah, there was this dual guitar solo harmonising at the end and 
it's just really lovely. It's a real kind of sweet little part to the ending. A moment. A, a moment, yeah. And it's not something that we've heard before. And progressively, as Huey's voice was, you know, over the years, it's been used a heck of a lot. You know, when he was getting into sort of 91, it was starting to get harder for Huey to hit those top notes. I mean, it's a different probably key-wise and all of that. And it was harder and Huey kind of started to slur the words a little bit probably because he was, you know, it was... End of the night, it's probably easier to sing. <laughs> I think so. And and when you go later, like there was many, there was kind of a, a, a lull in when they played it because it didn't really suit because when they started doing... From 94, they they recorded four chords in several years ago. And from that point onwards, this song in that format didn't really suit their style at the time and it didn't suit the songs that they were playing. So they kind of changed the format in 2004. We're live at 25 and you can see that they've changed the arrangement and it's become a ballad. And I thought, oh, what have they done? Yeah. And I thought, I don't know what I've, what have they done? I'm like, I don't know if I like this or if I hate this. You know, the backing vocals were only in the chorus and not that repeated backing vocals. And Johnny didn't play the solos at the time. They had three people in the horn section and Johnny didn't do the solos. So I thought, I'll hate this. And then we actually saw them live in 2016 and they played Do You Believe in Love in that arrangement. And I didn't hate it. I just felt like I still missed the original and that was fine. I mean, they had to, they adapted it to, to suit what they felt was right at the time. They're a band that's been around for, what, 40-something years now. The video for this one. Oh, the video. This is <laughs> this, famous. This is silly. Is yeah. this famous? I mean, Huey thinks this is, I think he felt like, oh, my, what have we done with this this video? It begins with the girl in the bed, and she's got these lovely purple satin sheets. I mean, she looks like she's having a good night's sleep. And Huey's there, and somebody's dressed him in a pale pink T-shirt thing. I'm not sure if it was quite Huey at all. It was the 80s. It was the 80s. It's kind of just Huey in the beginning, and then the first chorus is all the boys singing to the girl in the bed, and you're wondering, how is she still sleeping at this point? But she's still sleeping. She's a good sleeper. She must be. <laughs> she must be a very good sleeper. She kind of, I kind of like that bit. It's kind of, you know, it's kind of a bit of fun. Those satin sheets look like they'd stick to you, though, don't they? They, they do, actually, but this is famous. And why I say this is because it's the second chorus, because I you know, I had to delve deep into this video because the videos are fun. And this is where they start with the fun. I mean, the second chorus, I mean, this is the timeless, famous part of this song. And this is what everybody remembers of this song, is this video and this moment. It's the girl in the middle, and she's still sleeping. Let's face it, she's doing very well. And she's in bed with all six of the boys surrounding him. And you're thinking, how are they convinced to actually do this? I mean, and it must be a huge bed. <laughs> I would suggest it's a huge block of wood with a sheet on it because six six guys. And a girl. Yes, there would be some some, some movement in that mattress. You <laughs> do you know who the girl is? No. Her name is Debbie Shatner. If that name sounds familiar, she's the daughter of William Shatner. Who was Captain Kirk on the original Star Trek? Oh wow! Mm. Well, there you go. Uh, 
Right. Well, she didn't really have much to do in this song, but that was the that was the famous bit is that they were in bed, all singing. It was humorous. It was kind of funny. I'm sure they had many jokes about that. Their videos in the 80s were funny and not taking themselves serious and humorous. And this is sort of the beginning of that, isn't it? I mean, obviously, don't ever tell me that you love me is a bit silly too, but this is like a more produced, don't take it seriously, there's six guys in bed here. <laughs> <laughs> We're aware that right. this is ridiculous. Which side, are, which side are you taking? <laughs> and there's that section where it's the solo and it's a little bit humorous and Johnny pushes Chris out of the shot and then Bill pushes Johnny out of the shot and then Sean pushes Bill and lastly Mario pushes Sean and he's got this, and I love it, he's kind of got this classic cigarette in the mouth oh, going, nice. hello. <laughs> I've arrived. It's me. Mario Cipollina, lead cigarette. (laughs) Well, that's it, you know. And they have those black jackets, Mm. you know, with their names printed on them, the news. It was cool, really, you know. Finally, at the end, the girl gets out of bed and she walks into a kitchen. And I'm like, if only I could have the whole of Huey Lewis and the News in my kitchen singing to me. Really, I'd love that. I think there were plenty of girls in the 80s that well and truly would have loved that. So uh, it sort of ends on a bit of a odd, they're in the kitchen. You know, it, it, it ends a bit bit weird. So I'm not sure how else you would end that. No, I don't know. And still keep a G rating. <laughs> No, but, you know, we get to talk about the fact that later on they're buried up to their hands and heads in sand, you know. There's all a lot of uh, fun stuff for us, not fun stuff for them. Yeah. Moving on. Track seven. Track seven. Is it me? So this actually was written by Chris Hayes, Sean Hopper and Huey Lewis. It is interesting. Not normally would you have Sean's name in the mix. This is the first ballad that they've written that's actually recorded on their albums. Hope You Love Me Like You Say You Do was written by somebody else, wasn't it? It was. Yes, that's right. This has a really kind of nice, quiet sax solo in it. And it has Huey. I think Huey really, I think he does a nice job on this one. It's unusual for him to sing ballads. And I think he's got a bit of bit of credibility with this one. I think he puts a bit of himself in it. And there's this really nice little drum fill at the end. And I really, you know, that gives Bill something. You can hear that it's probably been written on a piano. And I think that's where it doesn't have a lot of big bangs in it in, in this song. But I like the lyric, is everybody crazy or is it me? Because I often feel like that myself. And I think the ending, tell me what you see, is it me? I like that. And I just think it's kind of hard to follow Do You Believe in Love? And sometimes it can kind of perhaps get missed in the mix. I couldn't find any evidence it was played live. There's a video of this, but the video is on Video Hits. And that's a collection of older photos of them so you're looking at clover photos and sound hole and some of the ones of chris hayes are probably because he wasn't in those bands was him maybe with family members or younger bands because he's quite a bit younger than huey he's seven years younger than huey so and it's in black and white it's a nice little video Hmm. it's more a 
here's our baby photos, essentially, and we need some music to go with the slideshow of our baby photos for this mm-hmm. video cassette, really, isn't it? It's, here's our pictures of us before we were Huey Lewis in the news. With the long hair, yeah. man. <laughs> Everybody liked Huey, had the beard. Huey looked like Jesus. Can I say that? <laughs> You can, because he did, yes. He did, you know, and, and he you looked like always. a bad boy. You know, and, and I think and even Chris Hayes had low I mean, they all had the long hair and that never came back. Once he hit the 80s, everybody had the short hair. Well, except for the heavy metal bands. That's another story. But these guys all had the short hair. So what do you have to say about this one? I love the Muppets show. You remember the Muppets? We were talking about the Muppets. I do. I, I've mentioned the Muppets the, before. The band or the Muppets. Do you have a favourite in the band? Rolf usually. Rolf was cool. I like Zoot because he just sort of his eyes. You got the impression that if anybody was out the back having it, smoking a doobie, it was Zoot. He was the stoner, right? <laughs> yes. Do you remember every now and then, like once a season, they would have the band just play a song that wasn't. There was no joke in it. It was just obviously Jim Henson or someone wanted to see the band play an old jazz standard. Yes. Bingo. The only way I can get through this song without my mind wandering off to have a drink is by <laughs> picturing it being played by Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem. <laughs> and it starts off with a nice, clear keyboard intro yes. and the acoustic guitar and Bill's... I, I would have called it a, a rim shot up until recently. I've learned it's when you put the head of the drumstick, the, the tip of the drumstick on the head of the drum and you tap the rim with the base of the stick. That's called cross-sticking, apparently. Not, not like cross-stitching. Not cross-stitching, cross-sticking. Okay. Different, different technique entirely. Yes. I'm sure Bill can do some decent cross-stitch as well, but he's cross-sticking oh, here. It's, yeah, a ballad, sleepy, dull, um, a wash in vocal harmonies. There's just vocals everywhere. What I think of as a late-night sax solo, totally worthy of Zoot. <laughs> Um, after the after the solo, Bill does his best animal impersonation, trying valiantly to inject some fire, but even he eventually goes back to sleep with everyone else. And then church organ from Dr. Teeth and fade to black. Um, not much to say about this one. No, it's, much. I didn't think this was one of yours. I think... It's, it's, it's not you. It's probably me. This is the second dud on the album for me. Okay. What was the first one? I hope you love me like you said. Okay. Me. Yeah, not a ballad. No, I just love I, that. Is everybody crazy or is it me? I think that relates. It, look, it's, it, it has its nice points. And yes. Yeah, it, it's, and I, I love a ballad. You know, I'm a Queen fan. I like variety and difference. And I think maybe I just don't expect a ballad. And it's not a traditional ballad either. It's more of a jazzy kind of ballad from these guys. So when they do something slower paced, it's like, I don't know what to make of this. No. You know, I, yes. I, I don't expect this from them. So it's like, oh. What's this doing here? I'm not knocking it. And like I said, if I just picture it being played by, by the Muppets, it comes alive for me. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> I'll try to, that next to time. Let's do it next time. Yeah. So we're moving right along. This is not the Muppet Show. Maybe we should talk about that, but not now. Moving on to track eight. Whatever happened to true love? This song is what I call the doll song. The filler. This is a Johnny Collar, Huey Lewis song. I find it hard for this song to grab me. There's kind of this little bit of a, almost a honky-tonk piano in the chorus here. I was 
finding a stretch to actually find things to talk about with this song. The guitar solo is uninspiring. Mind you, if anything, it actually wakes up after the guitar solo. That's that ending section. There's a whole lot of fills and licks of guitar in there, and that actually makes it kind of come alive. But the rest of the song, nothing grabs me. It wasn't live. There wasn't any video for this because it wasn't a single. I feel like with this song, they were still working on it. They had a few songs like that over the years, which I'll talk about, but it just felt like it wasn't quite complete. The chorus is the best section, I think, but it just doesn't grab me as many of their other choruses did. What do you have to say about this one? This one was interesting because I listened to it and my thoughts were, this sounds like, stop trying to call me, call her. It sounded 70s, like it hadn't got into the 80s, and the verse and the chorus felt like they'd been Frankenstein together. So I didn't think much of it, and then I think I had it on in the car, I was listening to it again, and I'd forgotten what I'd what notes I'd made for the first time, and I had a completely different take on it. Really? Yeah. From the start, this has got a big opening. It sounds like... Brian Adams circa Cuts Like a Knife. It sounds like it could be on that album. The Hammond organ slides down to a bouncy little verse with the bright little guitar stabs. These sort of shimmery arpeggios come in to tell you the chorus is on the way. And then the bad boy on the bass comes to the fore. He slides and growls his way around the tinkly piano and the shimmery fuzz guitar. I'm interested. That cool intro guitar riff is comes back at the end of the chorus. Mario pedals back into the pocket for the verse. The verse is a bit bigger. Got some backing vocals this time. But I'm just waiting for that chorus to come around again. After the second chorus, Bill goes nuts, building to the solo, finally achieving what he could not on Is It Me. Bass slides around, upstaging quite a cool little guitar solo, I thought. It's a simple little motif, repeated. But each time it repeats, there's another layer of harmonies. So I think he's got about four harmonies by the time he gets to the end of it. It's not Brian May, but it's it's not bad. I don't think he was going for Brian May, but it's it's pretty cool. For the in the outro, the, the vocal and the guitar sort of do a call and response thing, which is pretty nice. Takes a little guitar licks. I thought this was a hidden gem, and I hadn't given it any credit beforehand. Like I said, the first listen was like, eh, this isn't much. And then I listened to it again and went, my God, listen to the bass on this. This is wow. awesome. Well, we both have different <laughs> opinions of this one. This was one I always kind of... Oh, okay, I'll just skip that. Me too. But no, I just maybe I had the bass up or something or I was just listening for it and I thought, Oh, this is this is cool. And this one surprised me. So there you go. <laughs> you do. You never know what anybody else is going to actually listen oh. for. Oh well, we have to get to the only one. <laughs> And Huey is the only one, isn't he, really, I think, you know. For you, he certainly is. Well, <laughs> people say, what band do you like? And you go, what are they going to say when you say Huey Lewis and the News is my favourite band? And you say it, and they either go blank and they go, oh, didn't he do that? That He did that Power of Love song. They remember that in Australia. And then they turn around and they go, but why do you like Huey? And then it becomes hard to explain. Why does anybody like anything? If you're going to talk about why I love Huey, it's a period of time in my life. The 80s was when, 85, I was 10. You're starting to get into that age group where you're listening to music and developing what you like. 
what music styles you like. And they didn't play one style. I mean, you can clearly hear that. There's a lot of influences. They went Australian. They were American. I don't know what I had in common with a lot of these songs. I mean, I was a teenager. What did I know about working for a living? Nothing. But what? Well, they're live acts. What really cemented it was in 1988, there was coming up next week on the radio was going to be Huey Lewis and the News Live. Back then we had the radio connected to a crappy little tape player and it was kind of like, don't open the fridge because it would make a crackle in the recording. Terrible. So I listened to that and I played it nonstop because they were so good with their live act and it was clear the vocals and everything that they could really do, what they did in the studio, they did live. They they didn't do any fanfare. There wasn't any makeup or any big stages or no dancers, none of that kind of stuff. That was just Huey singing his butt off every time, you know. And for me, because I was getting into I'd like to learn to play the guitar. And for me at the time, it was like every time was always he never played the same solo. It was always slightly different. You know, there was never this is my formula, this is what I do. But there was always he was not just like a lot of guitarists. You'd have the rhythm guitarist and a lead guitarist, didn't you, really? Yeah. He did all of it. And I think you hear that because there's so much of that varied playing in the songs. So they not only had quality songs, but they could back it up live. What else can you sort of say? It was a period of time. It's like most people say it was, well, it was because I was a teenager, you know, it was like the videos were funny. They came out looking like they were nice guys to talk to. And the music is fun. It's not like a Pink Floyd, you know, you just listen to them because they're fun. The golden age of rock and roll is 14. Whatever you listen to when you were 14 or thereabouts, that's your golden age. And you can like other things from before or after, but that's where you discovered it. That's what you were listening to, whether it was current at the time or whatever. But that's, that's where it hits you, and you like it because you like it. And at that age, it's important, like somebody said, what bands do you like? And it becomes performative. It's, oh, I can't just say the latest bubblegum pop hit that is fun to listen to. I have to say something that says something about me as a person. I have to be into The Cure or Pink Floyd or something that, that identifies me, not just something that I like. When you're at that age and you get to our age and we're both over 40. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we can admit we're over 40, yeah. Well, you can do the sums now, can't you? And who else is going to be doing a Huey Lewis podcast? I mean, there are 20-year-olds, I'm sure, who listen to Huey I'm sure, but, you know. But you get to that age and I can say I like ABBA and I like Led Zeppelin and I like Queen, yeah, and I like Def Leppard and it doesn't. It doesn't identify me. It's just what I like. So you, yes. take, you like Huey Lewis because you like them. You don't. It doesn't have to be a reason. It doesn't have. Doesn't matter if anybody else understands that or somebody else thinks that's a strange band to be your favourite. Oh, it is. Yeah. No. Yeah. They. Why? They yeah. ask you why. Well, they had some good songs, but 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 why? why? You know, they look at you like, are you mad? You have a friend who who loves Cliff Richard. Well, that's true. Which is well. Before I had a. Our age. I had a friend who loved Roy Orbison. And why not? Roy Orbison's great. Well, exactly. Everybody has their own favourites. Yeah. These guys love the 60s soul Motown kind of stuff. Paul Butterfield Blues Band was what Huey liked and Tower of Power Horns. Mm, Yeah. And there's a wide discrepancy there too. They're not the same. But I guess in the 60s there was less of the these people over here like this and those people over there like that and you can't mix the two. 
everybody could like whatever. Whereas by the time we grew up, it was more the metalheads and the stoners and the, the emos or whatever they were called in the 80s. They weren't emos in the 80s. You listened to <laughs> Morrissey and so forth. But, but yeah, you like what you like. That's true. It hits you. It speaks to you. Were we moving on? Well, we started with track nine, the only one, didn't oh, we? Right. And then I got distracted. So this was written by Johnny Collar, Bill Gibson and Huey Lewis. There's not many that have been over the years quoted with Bill as a writing partner, but this one is. My first thoughts on this one is now they are back with a killer song. You know when they talk about cold cuts? Deep cuts? Deep cuts. <laughs> We can talk about cold cuts too. That sounds good. Sorry about that. (laughs) So you know when they talk about deep cuts, this is it for me. Mm. The background on this one is, well, it's it's said to be based on somebody Huey knew from high school. I actually found a a quote from Huey from, I think, Cream from 1982 about this song. He said he was the coolest guy in our junior high school and then I went away to school and four years later he was a wino. And a few years later, I read he was an alcoholic and he wandered out onto the freeway and got hit by a car and died. It was a sad thing. I think he came from a broken home and he had to grow up real fast and he peaked too soon. He said various things of the same kind of, basically the same. They changed Janie's name. They never mentioned the guy's name. But yeah, it was just a, a kid he knew and he never understood what happened to him. The song sort of asks, what, was, what happened there? What yes. Was the story? Well, I guess we can always, anybody can find somebody in their high school and think, whatever happened to them? So I guess it's relatable. Some people sort of might think that's a bit cheesy. I'm not sure. But uh, according to Johnny, apparently Sean had a hard time hearing where one was as he kept hearing the song backwards. So there was something in it that he couldn't quite. And Johnny sort of says he wrote it with a feeling of it was a little bit backwards. The chorus is it for me. It's just got this massive, if you put anything in an A5 chord in there, you're going to get power chords. And this is a massive chorus. Huey absolutely blasts this song out. It's convincing. The bridge is just fantastic in this one. I don't know what they were doing, but there was guitar, there's Huey, there's the backing vocals that are doing that harmony thing, and it's just fantastic. I'm going to vote it. This is the cracking guitar solo, and I'm voting it. I'm voting it as the best guitar solo on this album by me. And the lyrics of, you know, he was the only one whoever really knew he was the only one, what can we do? He was the only one, he always showed us how. He was the only one, where is he now? There's so much going on in this song. I mean, the drums are, you know, there's so much importance with the drums in this song as well. You know, you kind of miss that with everything else that is going on that kind of goes bang at you, basically. I really like that bit where it all sort of drops out and, you know, he he starts, you know, I heard about the accident there's not much left to say. He wandered out in the middle of the freeway. Must have happened right away. And then the song starts again. Mm. And then it builds up and you know you're going to get that chorus again because that's special. Yes. That, that chorus is special. So. Yes. <laughs> All of that. All of that. Um, <laughs> the ominous foreboding sort of requiem keyboard opening. This is foreshadowing. This is not ending well. This is a story and we're taking you on a journey. And then these little chiming guitar harmonics seem to chill down my spine every time. He's just picking at the harmonics. Dum, dum, dum. And then, yes. then, the, then the, riff, the riff opens. 
the verse comes down this nice, really mellow, he's just telling a story. There's a narrative here. It's not like, I love you, you love me. You know, I want to hold your hand. This is a story. We're taking you somewhere. Just drums and mostly vocals. I think there's, again, there's some keyboards under there, but it's, it's really sparse, building an atmosphere into a great chorus. As you said, this is a, this is a crack in a chorus. In the 80s now, but this, this for me sounds, it's, it's got a real West Side Story vibe. You can almost see the gang in leather jackets belting out the backing vocals. This should be in a musical theatre, like in Greece or something. We're talking about this, this character. This cool kid. And, and the, the guys in the jackets singing the chorus and, and John Travolta being the, you know, I picture it in that kind of setting. It's got a great narrative arc. You're right into the story. You know it's not going to end well because it's just got all these little spooky vibes in the music. The wind down, it just sort of does this little thing out of the chorus into the verses, and then the court, the verses are mellow again. The bridge you mentioned, I can still see him standing there. It's a great moment. And then it builds to a melodic but really aggressive classic Chris Hayes solo. Um, big climax, and then just slides down to that church organ again as Huey just tells the end of the story. And then you've just got the ooze. There's the gang vocals in the background and the storyteller telling you the, what happened. It builds again, big triumphant final chorus. This actually gives me a chill down my neck every time. This is a great song. Where is he now? Well, he's dead. <laughs> I think that's... <laughs> Surely he's, you know, that's the, that's the story. I mean, some people don't like this one. Maybe it's, when I say a bit cheesy, maybe they think the, the lyrics are a bit cheesy you know anybody i wouldn't have said it cheesy it's not lyrically it's not a song that they would normally do they do some no. kiss off songs or songs about relationships but this this is something different it was something different when they played it live again i go back to 82 mtv that was really heavy it's a great song but it was never going to last in the set list it was just sort of heavy aggressive and a little bit probably a bit of a downer in some respects the, the, the lyrics to this song are a bit down it's dark it's dark but the music lifts it and i think that's mm. the thing is the music is just quality it's like a guitarist is having fun with the song mm. and i mean as far as dark goes and this is at 1982 um, Springsteen put out Nebraska this year, which is all just him and acoustic guitar. Title track is about a couple of serial killers. Right. And I love that album. But to say that this is odd because it's dark or, or this is this is a downer, this is not. This is... It's kind of a celebration. It's almost triumphant. Yes, yeah. He's still the only one. Yeah. Even and you now, know, he's yeah. still the guy. And it's just you can see that Huey puts the quality in this mm. one. You know, some of the songs you sort of go... Oh, you know, it's a little bit tricky as to whether he's really in it. And this one, you kind of, because it just seemed to work for whatever reason songs kind of do. But this one, he seems to really put the heart into it. Mm. And that guitar solo. I don't know that he sounds this aggressive anywhere else. No, I don't think so. Really killing that. Yes. Did you vote it the best guitar solo on this album? I didn't. I didn't rank them, but I, <laughs> off the top of my head, I would not disagree with that. No, I think that that's that's pretty good. So after that, oh, how can we top that? Oh, well, we didn't, did we? We didn't. Track 10, Buzz, Buzz, Buzz. Wow. Oh, what the shit. Now, I don't know. This was, look, when I say that, I think after a song like the only one, 
you wouldn't leave the album hanging on this song. This song doesn't relate to any of the other songs as far as I can hear. They've just put it out of there as left field. So this was written, well, it was written by G. Gray and R. Bird. And it was recorded originally in 1957 by the Hollywood Flames. And if you listen to that, it's virtually note by note. They've basically redone it. and um, It's a faithful cover, isn't it? I don't know how this song fits in with this album, and I don't understand why they put this as the last track. It's fun, it's silly, it's got this acapella feel, and probably they may have actually been doing it as a warm-up in the bus or whatever, and they thought, well, we'll record that. The first part of the song is, well, buzz, buzz, buzz goes the bumblebee, twiddly, twiddly, d goes the bird. And it doesn't get any more, it's fun, it's silly, it's like a big band song in the middle of rock and roll and I don't know, I mean the thing, with this song in 1982 they appeared on American Bandstand and this is the song that they performed with and you know it's a uh, it's a studio thing in American Bandstand, it was just the record and them playing along basically. What's really funny, I find, is in 84, the Heart of Rock and Roll video, and Huey says at the very beginning of the song, hey, let's rock. What? This is not a rock song, Huey. I just don't know where this one came into it. I think Huey's actually playing a saxophone with Johnny, and we've never seen Huey play saxophone again, so I'm not sure whether he knew two or three notes and that was roughly it or was a bit of a... A pantomime, who knows? But this one leaves me puzzled. I had pretty much the same thoughts. Okay, why is this here? Why, why, why? Well, Whoa. why end the album with a dodgy cover, especially coming after the only one? This has more overdub noise than Kiss Alive. Um, <laughs> this is not a live track, but they'd like to pretend it is. That said, Mario's walking that f***ing bass here, which is awesome. Maybe this was fun to play live, but right here it just reeks of a cover band available for weddings. Filler. Look, maybe it would have fitted if they'd put it somewhere else on the album, like the middle of side two instead of at the end. But it's it just seems odd to end like this. It comes out of nowhere and kind of goes, what? You know, I think that's what, I don't know if I'm the only fan that have ever listened to this album gone, why did they put Buzz 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 on this album? Because the rest of it is all... Fairly contemporary. Yeah. 80s, you know, early 80s, you know, you could kind of, even as you said, with Hope You Love Me Like You Say You Do, you kind of said it, you know, the the origins of that felt like a long time ago, but the rest of it was fairly contemporary. And then they put this little gem in there and you go, what? It's not as if, you know, the, the George Harrison song, Got My Mind Set On You. Yes. That was a cover from 1962 or something. Yes. But it doesn't sound like it. And when you listen to the original song, you go, oh, okay, that is the same song, but it doesn't, that sounds 60s, and George Harrison sounds late 80s. This sounds like somebody escaped from the 50s and ended up on a Huey Lewis album. Yes. It's a rote cover. It's basically, this is the song, this is how it was recorded originally, and we're doing it as faithfully as we can. I don't know how this one came about. They did do acapellas in their set. Yeah, they probably would have been better off with the chain gang, which they did it mm. in the sets at times. That just, yeah, this seems like a little bit of a, a funny little ditty, this one. And uh, they would continue to do that occasionally too, wouldn't they? Put interesting ones weird, in there. Weird little covers that you can't quite explain. <laughs> yeah, I always felt that the, 
I think I said that with their last album when we went through that, that their last tracks on the albums were often a bit of a question mark for me. And and yet, as we just discussed when we were uh, sitting around for a meal just then, I could actually remember all the last tracks of every album except for Soulsville. And we'll, we'll have reasons for that later on, but I could actually remember every all the last tracks. This is a band that have 10 studio albums and two of those are essentially tributes to earlier time periods. Yes. So obviously they considered that they were an outgrowth of that, which all bands are, I suppose, and they wanted to pay tribute to this as a song we always loved and we think our fans should hear it too because we love it and you probably will too. I'd really love to know which one of the band members went, we'll do this one, and whether that was Huey because it's got all those lovely little harmonies in there, I don't know whether this has come from Johnny, because he was the harmony arranger all those years. So I don't know which band member suggested this one. But yeah, I just felt like it's been a bit of a, a bit of a miss in terms of ending this album. So that's the album. Did you? What were, what were your favourite tracks, apart from the hits? What do you think were the standouts on this one? Change of Heart. It's the leading song. Live, it's definitely Tell Me a Little Lie. I think that's the, the standout live song that's not a single. Yeah. The only one, really. I think they're just starting to get the songwriting a little bit more involved. Certainly with this album, because they produced it themselves, there's a quality there that I don't know whether they would have got that with somebody else, but they knew what they were doing. As Huey would say, we were going for radio, and there's that polished hit with this one that they didn't have in the last one and so there's so much more to expand with and you can kind of see that with the next album yes yeah there's definitely a growth in songwriting and sound they had a clear idea of what they were going for and how to get it i think that they may have had the idea on the first album but they they didn't know how to create it sonically in the in in the studio or they weren't trying to i mean they, they tried to record that one pretty live this one yeah they were aiming for radio which ones are your favorite Change of Heart, The Only One, Whatever Happened to True Love. Yeah, yeah. that was and a surprise for me. Yeah. you have to listen to it again now. Working for a living, of course, but that's sort of a minor hit. That's one that well, that's a, that's a fan favourite. It became something out of the ordinary because it was everybody's song. It's, it's kind of like talking about we're not here for a good time, we're here for a long time. We'll probably get the opportunity to talk about that song later on. Not always do the best songs become the, the crowd pleasers. And I guess you can't pick that, but that song just took a life of its own working for a living. Is there anything in here that surprised you? Is there one that jumped out? You went, oh, I've never quite heard that the way before. Love the way that whatever happened to True Love did to me. No. You probably heard the album a lot more than I have. Well, I did. And there were the obvious favourites that I used to go to, Change of Heart, Tell Me a Little Lie. I used to then go to Working for a Living, Do You Believe in Love. I'd sometimes play Is It Me, depending upon what kind of mood I was in, but I'd always play The Only One. And that was kind of the way I moved through that album, is that you had your favourite, and they were all sort of in the groove with this one, I think. Now, they don't talk about themselves being a guitar band, but I think there was a lot of guitar whether they deemed themselves that or not, but there was a lot of guitar that a lot of people liked and listened to. And I think when they changed guitarists many years later, it changed the dynamics of those songs. They were not the same because there was so much that Chris Hayes did with those songs 
you know, people used to say, why haven't they recorded anything since 1997? You know, Mm. (laughs) they had lots of years and that was because, well, Chris Hayes had left the band and he was their main writer. There was different elements. I mean, you can kind of hear the different elements with change of heart to something like Tell Me a Little Lie. There's different influences, different styles, different ways they wrote the songs. I don't know whether there's one person in particular that excels on the album. I think it's a combined effort. It, it very much is, isn't it? I mean, even looking at the, the writing credits, a lot of bands, the writing credits are kind of opaque. You know, this person brought the song in, but everybody else added to it, but they don't get their name on it. Or it's always one guy who all the songs are by one guy or two guys. But this is different teams of writers. This guy had the music and brought in the lyrics or whatever. Sure, it's, it's not always the same the same writing credits. You see different different band members bringing something in and that makes a variety of stuff. And what they did was they pulled songs from other people that they knew and for whatever reason they wanted to include them on the album. That was sort of, they did that over the years. They did include other songs like Perfect World and Heart and Soul. There were other writers that quality songs that they recorded. So it wasn't always stacked with this is my originals, but at the same time, their originals have stood the test of time. Mm. Yeah, I think I've seen a video of Huey somewhere saying that. It's like, well, we've got six or seven songs, and what songs have our friends got that we could do? But it never sounds, they always, I hope you love me like you say you do. You told me that was a cover, and I hadn't realised. Yep. It sounds like a Huey song. So, even giving it all up for love. You realise that's a cover. It's like, oh, okay, that's why it sounds the, the lyrics are a bit silly, but lyrics are often a bit silly in Huey songs and it doesn't matter. But you wouldn't, it doesn't stand out. They make it sound like a Huey song. They do. Mm. And it's all those vocals. Yes. <laughs> and on this album, that's mostly Johnny. Mostly, I believe. <laughs> it's really hard. I mean, when you're talking about backing vocals, there was Johnny, Chris, Bill, and Sean, because Huey never did backing vocals because you could always hear Huey's voice. So distinctive. So you never really know who was singing those backing vocals over the time. All you can really gauge is what they did live. Thank you for listening. If you have a question or a comment, we'd love to hear from you. Catch us on Facebook at Plenty of Lines But Nothing to Say or email plentyoflines at gmail.com. If you like what we're doing, then please subscribe, like, share and review and all those other nice things to tap and click there are out there. If you know a Huey Lewis and the News fan just like me, then let them know about us and you can uh, share some tales if you'd like to yourselves about the band. Next time we'll be back with, well, the, the album that everyone knows because it's, it's massive. We'll be back with sports. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. Bye. So what does a girl like you see in a guy like me? (laughs) Well, you're actually sitting here doing a Huey Lewis podcast.